It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is Big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 120, straight out of Droitwich. Coming up on tonight's Bashcast, Flash Odds Disaster, look forward to the Melbourne Cup, though, and not backwards. One of the bookie bashing members cleans up on the coupons. Having a look at Virgil van Dyke and his DDHH value. Good weekend on the NFL. A little discussion about the golf, but the golf starts in half an hour. So whilst it's not in play now, it probably will be by the time we get to it. And after the break, are there any edges in the US lottery payout structure? Uh, suck the EV. And introducing a new series. The Bashcast Hall of Fame. All of that and more coming up on the Bashcast. Happy Halloween. To everyone, Halloween is, it is, the best holiday of the year. One ahead of Christmas, officially, in the uh, Bashcast polls I just made up. Uh, It was Sasha's third birthday this week, so we went to the Halloween Spooktacular at the Safari Park. Um, And it was a bit spooky, because they've got real-life dinosaurs there, which are fun, I think, for four-year-old boys and over, but three-year-old girls who still think they're real is a bit scary. They do have a real-life dinosaur exhibition there featuring all the best dinosaurs and the second biggest that ever existed. The Is it the Argentinosaurus or the Argentinosaurus? But surely the plus EV move, if you're building the second best, biggest ever dinosaur, is just, you might as well just go all out. For the biggest, even if your budget's run out, it feels like if you're doing the second biggest one, which is impressive, it's a big, he's a big lad, that dinosaur, you might as well go for the big one. Um, but the spooktacular was impressive, and I got a, I got at the same day, I got an email with a subject headline, boo, a Halloween treat for you, and this is from Rental Cars, what could the Halloween treat be? Could it be the refund of my £595 that you took from my credit card in July, despite returning the car to you in exactly the same condition that I picked it up in? That would be a wonderful Halloween surprise. Let's have a look. No, it's no tricks, no treats, just up to 25% off Hertz cars. Yeah, I'd much... A nicer Halloween treat would have been my money back. Thanks, Central Cars. So that's obviously still ongoing. Saturday, we had flash odds after speaking about trading them all week last week, mostly for profit. Occasionally, 
it didn't go right. Well, it really didn't go right on Saturday after mentioning it on the Bashcast on Thursday. Um, William Hill boosted Redition to 7-2. And in the morning, opened up at like 6-4, to 2.5 on the exchanges. But the weird thing was it drifted all day, just slowly drifted. And then you can see the point where the insiders got involved. That was when it was about... 3.2 it's still an amazing boost from 3.2 up to 4.5 so reducing shot up and now this is the usual trend it shoots up whilst uh, the insiders and the uh, get in before the layers and then it shoots up some more when the layers get in it got all the way to 4.2 so i jumped in at four point i think 4.11 so it was like getting an average of 4.1 and 4.2 on the exchange and i had 50 1500 pounds on at 4.11 and then just left it till half past two on a Saturday afternoon, which is an incredibly inconvenient time for me to be trading a horse with everything else that's going on. And whilst it did dip down to 3.9, so I backed at 4.1. I didn't want to back at 4.1, lay at 3.9. I wanted more than that because I'm greedy. And I expected it to show the same characteristics as the rest of the horses that week that layers were artificially holding the price up and it would collapse but instead it shot up with no notice at about 10 minutes before the off from 3.9 to 4.9 to 5.9 it was insane it was like the price doubled price doubled i mean there was some serious inside money there there was something very very strange going on so it went up to 5.9, and now it's damage limitation. Fortunately, it's on ITV Racing, so you can see exactly when the horses are going to go off. But it's it never just it, it relaxed a little bit, but it didn't come down much before the off than 5.2. And this is a disaster if you've got 1,500 quid at 4.1, and the price is now 5.2. But I'm not letting all 1,500 pounds go in this stupid horse. So I traded out a little bit, left myself some in play to try and mitigate the disaster. Uh, he never dropped below 4.5, even in play. So backed at 4.1, and when I backed at 4.1, that was like the lowest he ever was, other than the 3.9, but I mean, I wasn't going to tell. So he shot up and never came back, and even in play, it looked like he was second, but he never... He never... The favourite didn't win. It was a horse in the double figures won. But never looked like he was in danger of winning, so the price didn't come down enough. So it was the biggest flash horse disaster so far. Duncan was minus 300 because he's jammy. I was minus 700 because I'm not so jammy. During the race, um, the doorbell went... I found this to be quite a bizarre moment in bashing i've had it before it's just it's when real life and bookie bashing collide and it sort of brings it puts things into perspective i was a bit annoyed during the race as anyone would be because it was a trade that had gone wrong you know it's a, I, I, I almost don't mind losing 700 pounds in a poker tournament when i know exactly what i'm doing or 700 pounds on a mug if i knew if i was confident that it was right but this was a trade that had gone spectacularly spooktacularly wrong and that's what there was something a lot more annoying about that than simply losing a value mug 
uh, and the doorbell went during the race. I couldn't get it. Jen went to get it, and a man was at the door from Facebook. Well, not from, it wasn't Mark Zuckerberg. It was a man from the Facebook marketplace, and Jen had put up like seven baby bottles or something that we don't need anymore. Um, on the Facebook marketplace, and he'd driven from somewhere. I don't know where he come from, local, presumably, but we're out in the countryside. So he's driven from somewhere, and he's come to the front door, and he exchanged £8.50 for these baby bottles, which he paid in 50p's and 20p's at the front door. At the same time, upstairs, I was doing my best to limit myself to a £700 loss on a horse race where I can't even name the horse that won just now or who the favourite was that went off at the time and I don't know anything about Radishan or his history and so those two worlds, it's like just I should have shouted down, don't worry about the 20 piece. do not worry about the, the 20 <laughs> this is when I used to play poker and you could work out an hourly rate and back when poker was a lot easier online than it is these days. It was getting to the point where, like, I could go to the shops to buy food, but that that has now become a seriously negative expectation activity for me this afternoon because the hourly rate just now, with these people sitting at this poker table, it's more positive EV for me just to skip food and drink water. Anyway, that's that's by the by. That's all I was. That's I, I had similar thoughts when this guy turned up on a Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Uh, for the horse racing, the Melbourne Cup, the horse race that stops a nation, Flemington, middle of the night on Tuesday. If it's Tuesday afternoon, when is it here? Yeah, it's Tuesday afternoon in Australia. It is Wednesday morning here. Um. Irish oh, Irish trainer Aidan O'Brien has the favourite in this, like Godolphin, has never won the Melbourne Cup. They're saying hot favourite Yucatan. Well, he's 9-2, to two, you know, hot favourite. That's like betting on seven, six, seven or eight numbers on a roulette wheel and then saying you're a hot favourite for those seven or eight numbers to come in. Maybe so you could tan five point four cross counter and magic circle are both at ten and everyone else the field is fourteen point five. If you are Australian and you have a you've been exposed to match betting in the UK, you would be laughing in this horse race, the amount of offers that are going on. Bet easy all races at Flemington, all races, and if your horse is second, third, or fourth, you'll get your stake back. Second, third, or fourth. I mean, we're now lucky if we get a single money back, if second. Um, Friday night ahead of the Saturday, ahead of Flemington, um, place a fixed odds win bet. At Money Valley, uh, Valley, Money Valley, and if your horse is second or third, get your stake back all the way up to forty-five dollars as well. Points bet, this points bet. If you are second, third, fourth, or fifth, 
on any day of the Flemington Carnival on any race, get your money back up to fifty dollars. How do they make any money when they're pay, when they're giving you your money back second, third, fourth, and fifth? That's that's pretty insane. So another one here, uh, spring into action at Flemington, set money back of second or third to $50 and a deposit bonus of $250. I mean, that's not bad. How much is $250? It's about one to two these days. It was one to three when I lived in Sydney in 2001. It's now one to two. So it's about 100 and just over 125 quid, 130, 135 quid um, de- deposit bonus, which is just far and beyond what yeah yes there's higher commission to play on the exchanges but that's mitigated by the uh, magnitude of the deposit bonuses and the refund offers i wonder what we'll get here if any well no there was a day when we had money back a second in the middle of the night rinsing it at william hill um but they are long gone so i'm not entirely sure what the value if any is going to be on the Melbourne Cup over in the UK, but we shall see on the football in the weekend. Let's go to the right day. Saturday, the 27th of October. Bookie bashing member. So I'm always talking about the coupons that I've got on or like teams got on, which must get boring after a while because, you know, it's, it's not all about me. So let's have a look at a Grape I posted on site last Friday. So 7th Heaven coupon at Fred comes out on Fridays. Thursdays. 7th Heaven comes out on Thursdays. Pushes comes out on Fridays. Those are the two that we monitor week in, week out. And if anything else comes up, we'll monitor it. But those week in, week out seem to be held value. And on Friday some money, some smart money had come in that had highlighted the following teams to be value. Value at decent prices as well. Only one odds on here. So one of the bookie bashing members, Splurge, went out and placed a series of trebles. So again, let's just break this down. What's he doing here? Well, you take anything that's plus EV and you put it in a double with something else that is plus EV, you compound that value. So something that's 103% EV in a double with something else that's 103% EV, that bet's now 109% EV. Three times three is nine. It's not 106, it's 109. So you very quickly create a lot of value on thin value betting by using trebles. The problem is the odds are going to skyrocket. So what you want to do is you want to mitigate, you know, if you place 130 to 1 bet on a weekend, it's not going to come in 29 times out of 30, and it's not the best way of making money. But if you place 30 30 to 1 bets, then it's odds on that something is going to come in. Um, Now, what we can do is we can pick seven teams and place all the trebles of those seven teams. That's 35 different trebles. Yes, there is some inclusivity. So if one team doesn't win, we're now down to 20 trebles. If two teams don't win, we're down to only 10 trebles. But still, you know, you're, two teams don't win. You've still got 10 live trebles that you can make money out of. And of course, if all seven teams win, that's all 35 trebles. So it's a good way of compounding thin value betting to create fantastic EV. Um, and also spreading your risk around a load of different uh, trebles so that you're not just reliant on a single 
30 to 1 shot bet on the weekend. So the bets actually started on Friday night um, and ran through to Sunday on this slip. Which again, it's a, that's just a fun thing to follow them. And the first one was QPR at 74 versus Vaston Villa and they won 1-0 on Friday night. And then again in the championship, second championship game, Middlesbrough versus Derby to be a draw at 3.5, 5-2. Well, that came in as well on Sunday lunchtime. So that means that we've got two winners out of two. And because it's 2.75 and 3.5, now every game that wins from now is going to complete a treble um, and is going to be odds of nine multiplied by whatever the team is. So we had Coventry, Fleetwood Air, Man United draw, and Man City. So, I mean, everything's like, it's like those five selections are now nine times, odds of nine times the normal odds is going to be the payout. So that's fun times. Um, so Coventry were seven to four against Doncaster Rovers. They won two one. Fleetwood were fifteen to eight against Blackpool. They won three two. Air were seven to four against Partick, and they won one nil. So that's five out of five on Splurge's slip. That's looking good so far. And that's all the that's all the Saturday games. So two to play now. Man United draw at ten to three. Man City to beat Spurs at four to five. Now these were ten pound trebles, so thirty five of them. The bet slips cost three hundred and fifty pounds. Again, remember it's not um, risking three fifty pounds. You frequently maybe get money back. You know, I've had ones of these where you make a five a profit or loss on them if only three teams win. But this is going to return eight thousand eight hundred and fifty nine pounds and sixty two pence if all seven win. On the Sunday, I've lost the Sunday. Manchester United played Everton, and that was two one to Manchester United. So the draw didn't come in. Sigurdsson got a penalty to make it two one for Everton in the 77th minutes. That was a nervy 15 minutes at the end of the game, but they didn't win. But still, if Manchester City can beat Spurs on Monday night, then of those 35 trebles, 20 of them will win and return about £4,500. You get about half your money if one team loses usually, especially if, uh, in a slip like this. So uh, Man City... It was meant to be high scoring this game and Mara scored in the sixth minute to set up all the over 8.5s and it finished. Man City won, Spurs nil. So another game of the six games that won, all of them won by exactly one goal apart from the draw, which of course is, a, is just a draw. So um, terrific return there from a £350 bet. Um, again, it's a positive EV slip. It's also a long-term game. It's like, so now the next three or four, you know, either bust or lose a little bit. and But that's what happens. You think long term. Look at uh, um, a season's worth of bets on these slips instead of a single day. So it's always fun going into the shop to go and have to pick up um, a four grand payout. Well done to, well done to Splurge on that one. For me, I wanted Lille to draw on my coupons and that would have made that would have sent one of my slips into galactic unfortunately can couldn't and it was one nil to leal although in the midweek football cups this wasn't a coupon this was just value betting 
last day of the month, which is always good. Um, all the money. It was League Cup night last night in the League Cup. <laughs> Arsenal were playing Blackpool. Chelsea were playing Derby. Spurs were playing West Ham United. And Middlesbrough were playing Palace. Nothing too notable about out of these games, but all the favourites won, which is a good news story. Um, I was on. I, I went to go follow a Sky accumulator at Big Odds because I like them. And that was Arsenal Derby Spurs at 41 39. Arsenal and Spurs found it easy. And Chelsea, Chelsea could have lost to Derby. I'll be getting a couple of goals, but it was Chelsea that won. Well, that was still value at Come On Sportsbook. Only 3.75, only 50 quid. So you're not you're not going to be a millionaire, but it's just a decent value bet. The most smart money got it right and all the favourites won. That's all you can ask for. Uh, Celtic minus 3.5 was boosted to 4-1 to one at William Hill, which seems crazy because Celtic had scored 13 goals in three games. And Dundee are bottom of the table. Three points um, with a goal difference of minus 23 from only 11 games and had shipped in like 3,000 goals in the last three games. Um, I was watching that last night and it could have been 10-0 Celtic away from home. They won 5-0 in the end, but they won 5-0 with ease. They kind of took the foot off the gas after they'd scored four. They were 4-0 up at half time. I think. Talking about that. As well, because I'm not going to cover any basketball this week because it'll get um, repetitive. Although the so the Warriors scored 123, 144, 128, 120, 149, and 131 this week. So I get them on them to score over 96 points every game of the season, and they are so. Listen, I'm on over 96.5 points every game of the season, and against the Chicago Bulls. At half-time, the score was 92.50. And I'm on over 96.5 for the game. It's like 92.50. I wonder if something's happened in basketball like it has in NFL, like a rule change, to mean that we're seeing a load more points. Although Clay Thompson in that game got a world record 14 three points. And it's not like the basket's any bigger or anything's changed that would have resulted in that happening. So maybe they're just better. I now like this bet, though, for the season. Um, so nothing came in up until the 31st of October, and then all the favourites won, so I had a little bit of profit. And now it's the 1st of November, which is always great because that means that profit and loss records read zero pounds and zero pence, and we start again from scratch for the month and forget all about that little losing run in the end of October. So two DDHHs came in. They were okay. Nothing special. Hemed, the QPR striker, 6.5 to back and 7.2 to lay. That's value. That's definitely value. Didn't score. And Sudani for... Um, no, and of course, exactly the same. 6.5, 11 to 2 came into 7.2. Didn't get on the score sheet either. Do you know what is really weird? Virgil van Dijk is a Dutch professional footballer who plays in the position of centre-back um, for Liverpool. 
and is captain of the Netherlands. So a centre-back, for those that don't know, main responsibility is to defend the area directly in front of a goal, try and prevent opposing players like centre-forwards from scoring by blocking shots, tackling, intercepting passes, contesting headers, marking forwards, and generally discouraging the opposing team from passing. He happens to be value every single game for Double Delight Hat-Trick Heaven. Every game he's value. And here are his uh, statistics. He's had in 2018-19 10 matches for Liverpool and zero goals in the Premier League. In 2017-18, he played 14 matches and got zero goals. In the Champions League this season and last, he's had nine matches and zero goals. He did score in the International Champions Cup, where Liverpool played three matches and he got one goal in that. Versus... Dortmund, when Dortmund won 3-1, albeit Virgil van Dijk did get the first goal in that game. So if you count the champions, the international champions uh, friendlies, and why wouldn't you count them? That is 36 games and one goal, albeit that goal was the first goal of the game. Therefore, empirically and heuristically, because this is how stats work, he should be around 36-1 to to get the first goal. He shouldn't, he should be. He should be much longer. But he's always value. There's always money that comes in and I can't figure out what's going on. He's always value for double delight hat-trick heaven. And that's because money always seems to come in for Virgil van Dijk. I guess he is very susceptible. or his Some, some smart money thinks that the probability of him scoring in the game is very dependent on the formation, lineup, and tactics that Liverpool are going to use. So they're playing Arsenal on the weekend at Saturday. It's the Saturday evening game at 5.30, and that means it's a double delight hat-trick heaven game. So if we scroll down to the bottom of the list, he is 40-1 to 1 at Skybet, best price. But Fred is a reasonable 28 to 1 considering that he's double odds if Virgil gets the second goal in the game which he's never done in his career um so he's 28 to 1 and just watch out cuz the smart and runny might push that down to 28 26 it's it's frequently 34 32 34 30 30 28 and i don't know why but every single game Virgil van Dijk is value. And because he's value, because there's smart money doing it, I'm on him every every time. And, you know, I wasn't on him against Dortmund, so I haven't uh, made any money out of him yet. But um, Virgil van Dijk one day will make the month. I promise you that. I don't know when, but it, this season it'll happen. It'll happen. He will clean up. He'll clean up the month for us. Um, NFL, my preseason Super Bowl... Team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are now 100-1 to 1 for the Super Bowl, um, were, uh, were here, were in London at Wembley, taking the game very seriously, as reported by the Sun 
newspaper with the headline Super Brawl for NFL Jacksonville Jaguars stars arrested by cops are named following the London nightclub brawl with over £50,000 bar bill. The American football players, who earn an average of £43,000 a week, squared up to bouncers at London Rain Show Club. So, the American football stars who were involved in the nightclub brawl have been named. The four Jacksonville Jaguar players, Barry Church, Ronnie Harrison, DJ Hayden and Jared Wilson, were arrested by cops at 4am on Saturday. Trouble fled after they were accused of trying to leave the London Rain Show Club without paying their tab. The players, who earn an average of £43,000 per week, allegedly squared up to bouncers outside the nightclub. The Jaguars were in the NFL, were in the capital for an NFL match against Philadelphia Eagles at Wembley Stadium and lost the game 24-18. A group of players and staff attended the private members club, which features burlesque and circus performers. On its website, the venue is described as an aerial show club bringing an eclectic mix of Las Vegas and Moulin Rouge to the heart of London's West End. On Saturday, it was running a Welcome to Gotham-themed event. The players sank champagne starting at £450 per, uh, a bottle and vodka. They were reportedly sent bottles they thought were on the house and the row started when they were asked to pay. A source told The Sun the total bill was in the region of £50,000 and some of the lads tried to leave the club but were prevented from doing so by security. Things got pretty heated and there was a lot of swearing and shouting and things became physical. In terms of preparation for the match, you couldn't think of anything worse. The players were released after nine hours in custody. It's understood the club dropped the complaint after the bill was settled. Speaking after his team's loss yesterday, Church said there was definitely a misunderstanding, but as far as my actions are concerned, I take full responsibility. I don't want to be a distraction or anything like that to my team and my teammates, but we handed it as a private we handled it as a private matter within the team and we'll just go from there. He declined to say how long he and his teammates were detained for or whether any punches were thrown at the nightclub located near Piccadilly Circus. The 30-year-old added, I don't want to go into details about that, but we were just hanging out as a team. That's it. It's just a disappointing how it went down. I didn't want to be a distraction or anything like that, but hey, it happened. I took full responsibility for it with my... Sorry, wait a minute. I took full responsibility for it with my teammates, and we just weren't able to pull a victory out today. It just kind of adds up. That's what happened. I, uh, I heard a report say where they squared up to the bouncers. It was like the West End version of when King Kong met... Godzilla. The LA Rams continued their winning streak, sneaking past the Green Bay Packers 29-27. But my bet of a team to go 16-0 this season, well, I found the market. So the LA Rams are the last team. They're the last team remaining to go 16-0. And we've only had eight games, so we're halfway through the season now. To For the LA Rams to stay unbeaten all regular season... Skybet have priced that up at 66 to 1. I would imagine the real odds are close. Our fair price would be 200 to 1. They are 8 to 11 to get beaten by the New Orleans Saints this weekend, where it's probably going to end. So good luck, me and my stupid NFL bet. It was a decent 
weekend. Other than that, though, um, there were a couple of... Duncan gets credit for this. He found a bet at Black Type, which wasn't value when he found it, but he entered it into the tracker, so the tracker was monitoring it. And it was... Where is it? Sorry, I'm delaying once I find it. The Eagles, the Chiefs, and the Bears. Okay, it was only 74, but it was £100 limits, so £175 if this comes in. And it came in to 2.46, which is pretty good. That is pretty good. And the Eagles won the early game, 24-18, against the Jacksonville Jaguars in London, so that was like 12 p.m. Kansas City Chiefs beat Denver Broncos 30-23. The Chicago Bears were never in trouble against the New York Jets. 24-10. The Bears were also in a treble at Coral. Bears, Colts and Bengals. The Colts won 42-28 again, never looking like they were in trouble. And the Cincinnati Bengals won 37-34 against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Unfortunately, the William Hill boost didn't win, which means that the good markets and matchbook exchange bets didn't win couple of middles to talk about christian mccaffrey running back for carolina panthers his rushing yards versus baltimore he was over 44.5 at matchbook and under 51.5 at red zone sports giving a 45 to 55 yard middle for rushing 10 percent as well not too bad i can't I, he was 1.91 on one side uh, at Red Zone Sports and 1.85 at the exchange. But the problem was that was it at the exchange. There was like £300 available and I took it all. And so I took it all. And so I, I didn't post it. So this is very much after timing. Um, but sometimes this happens, especially when you're creating middles against the exchange. The two best places to create middles are Matchbook because they don't limit you if you win and Red Zone Sports because they have large limits. And also those two places are the places where there's likely to that you know the line is likely to be a little bit different and it was in this case and he rushed for 45 yards just hitting it by 0.5 but that will do so i had um 300 on both sides of that so just short of 600 pounds profit and then in the evening game Nick Goff, passing yards, quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams against the Green Bay Packers. Again, exactly the same bookmakers. Um, over 281.5 at matchbook and under 303.5 at red zone sports. That's a big 22-yard middle there. The weird thing about this is that so I'm, it's between 282 and 303. He was on 295 yards just five minutes into the fourth quarter, passing yardage. So all he had to do was like pass another eight yards and it was going to lose. It was just going to be the over that won, but the under was going to lose. But then just like it was a load of fun watching it. It really was the most amount of fun. You're sort of cheering either the Rams not to have possession or if they do have possession, just rush the ball. And that's exactly what happened. Either Goff got sacked or they rushed the ball because of Todd Gurley or the Packers had possession of the ball. And it was for the entirety of the 10 minutes until the Packers got possession and took a knee with about 50 seconds left. 
And so, despite the fact he was on 295 yards with 10 minutes to go, he finished on 295 yards, so the over 281.5. And the under 303.5 came in. So it was the £1,000 profit from the middles for me on Sunday night, just a little bit less because um, the match on Goff was pretty poor. But I couldn't post them again, as I say, because... Uh, I swallowed up all of the matchbook liquidity. And in times like that, it's just a case of having the tools and searching for yourself. I think if you search, you generally find something, especially on a Sunday night when there are three games. Um, and on the Shriners Hospital for Children's Open, is there a worse golf tournament name in the history of the world? I don't know. There's just this small edge here. Um, if your player finishes top five at BWN or Sporting Bet or Betfred, uh, and it's tied, as it usually is, he'll pay out in full. Or top 10, he'll pay out in full. And, and yeah, it's always kind of tied in the top 10. So it's just a little small strategy there, just to back some players. Um, and when liquidity comes in, lay them on the exchange, and it's sort of a free shot of the full payment um, at the bookmaker. There wasn't a lot around today. Uh, Brandon Haggy, you get some random golfers that you've never heard of in these sort of less major tournaments that are on because there's like two minor tournaments on for the PGA and the European golf tour um, at the same time at this end of the season and so you get these players like Brandon Haggy and Sam Burns and Abraham Anser and Joaquin Nieman well they were all good value um, in the Shriners Hospital for Children Open um backing and hoping that they do finish in that tied position and that means that only a small percentage of the exchange liability will be paid out and the full back liability will be paid out by the bookmaker so something to cheer on there as i said i was going to talk about this more but it has gone in play by this point so um um all the numbers have disappeared all right that's enough guys to take us to the break you are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. Adventure seeker on an empty street. Just an alley creeper, light on his feet. The 
Welcome back to the Bashcast. That was I Want It All, obviously, by Queen from the 1989 studio album The Miracle. Have a guess who went to see Bohemian Rhapsody at the cinema this week. In the bookie bashing news. Are there any edges anywhere? So the U.S. Mega Millions Lottery was in the news recently. On the 24th of October last week, a lottery ticket holder in South Carolina scooped the largest jackpot in U.S. history. And unbelievably, it was a positive expectation game. So like the National Lottery, which I haven't played for years, so I presume it's still the same as it used to be. It's a progressive jackpot. So if it's not won one week, it rolls over. And if it rolls over and rolls over again and again, then the prizes can get quite significant. So the Mega Millions lottery costs $2 to play, and players pick six numbers from two separate Pools of numbers. The first pool has 1 to 70, and you pick five of those. And the second pool has 1 to 25, and you pick one of those. And you win the jackpot by matching all six winning numbers in a drawing. So you got to get the five from the 1 in the 70, and you got to get the one in the 1 in 25. So that's kind of insane, because if you get, like, the five, you're then 25 to 1 to hit the big one. And it is generally the worst EV, as all lotteries are. But in America, the Mega Millions is really heavily weighted towards the jackpot. So on the 24th of October, well, the prizes every week are are as follows, okay? So if you get just the, the secondary pool, just one number, then you get a $2 prize. That's one in 37 of that happening. One and one is four dollars. Two and one is ten dollars. Three and zero is ten dollars. Three and one is two hundred dollars. Okay, so now it's getting serious. Now you've matched four numbers, but you haven't got the second pull. You're going to get five hundred dollars back. Now the chances of that happening, getting four and zero, are one in thirty-eight thousand seven hundred and ninety-two. And you're getting $500 for your $2 investment. So you're getting 250 to 1 on 38,792 to 1. The EV of your bet there, just for that, you know, single one, is 0.54%. If it was on the tracker, it would be 0.54. It's not very good. Match 4 and also get the secondary pool. And you've done well there. You might just be one off the main pool. And you've also got the secondary pool. That's only ten thousand dollars, but again, it's one in nine hundred thirty-one thousand and one. So that's a similar EV. Here's where it gets serious. So remember, you've got to get all five from the first pull and the one from the second pull. If you do get all five from the first pull, then you're you know you're looking at your twenty-five to one in the second pull, but you don't get it. Well, you would win one million dollars. The chances of that happening are 12,607,306 to 1. 
about 4% EV. So of the secondary prizes in total, you're looking at about 12% EV. You know, considering we we bet we start our betting at 105% on the tracker, 12% EV. But here's where it gets crazy. The jackpot, once the jackpot reaches 604,000 or higher, then the jackpot actually becomes plus EV. Because the odds of getting the jackpot are 302 million to one. It costs $2 to get a slip. So the EV line is $604 million jackpot. Now, on the 24th of October, the jackpot was $1.6 million. That is an insane 264.4% EV. The problem with that is that the US Mega Millions employ the Nectan business model, and that is that... um, they want to pay out in installments over a number of years. In fact, if you won the $1.6 billion, it would take you 29 years to be paid out installments. However, they do have an option. And by the way, if you're really old, that's so cruel. It's like, what if you're 80 years old and then you win it? It's like, you're not going to take the installments, are you? You know? (laughs) But then if you're five years old, well, okay, you're not going to be five years old. But if you're 21 years old, of course you're going to take the installments. Like 21 years old, you're going to have 50 million a year for until every year until you're, until you're 50. But you can decide if you want to take a cash payout of $913 million after tax. That's the lump sum. So that $913 million, that's still plus EV because it's above the $605 million to one that we needed. So... Um, it's 148.7% EV. So that $2 bet is, a, on average, as long as there's only one winner, is going to return 148.72% EV. It's going to return $2.97.4 in the long run. But in order for it to do that, you do actually have to win the jackpot. And there's the problem there. So, and it's 302,575,350 to 1 that you're going to win the jackpot. So the winning numbers were 5, 28, 62, 65, and 70. That's really highly weighted towards the top end, which means that statistically if people are picking lucky numbers, lucky numbers tend to be days and months of the calendar year. So loads of people will be picking numbers between 0 and 31. Fewer people... Pick num- this is advantage play strategy in the lottery, ladies and gentlemen. Fewer people pick higher numbers outside of the range. Like in the U- UK lotteries, 32 to 49 should be the numbers you stick to nailed on to be like keeping all that jackpot prize to yourself. And the Mega Ball was five. Imagine waiting for that to come out. Imagine you've got the five numbers. There's a million dollars, which is nothing. 500,000 pounds. I'll spend that in an after. I'll buy a car that's worth five. Well, okay, I won't buy a car, but I'll I'll buy a shed that's worth five hundred thousand pounds. And then you're waiting for the Mega Ball, and you're twenty five to one to win one point six billion. You know what I mean? <laughs> People had been lining up at service stations and stores nationwide, and had been discussing whether this was a positive expectation strategy. Now I can just about deal with the sky bet 200 to ones because I'm putting a couple of quid on. I'm also betting several hundred of those bets over the course of the year. So I am statistically odds on 
to win one of those. But for this to be positive expectation, you really need to win the, the jackpot. The moment we've been waiting for finally arrived and we couldn't be more excited, said Gordon Medanika, lead director of the Mega Millions Group. I'm not surprised. I'm sure they cleaned up as well. Uh, there has been one lucky winner, but they have remained anonymous. So good for them. And I just feel sorry for the people that want a million. I did read a report that statistically, uh, the serious, I'm not joking around it, statistically and on average, levels of depression in lottery winners are significantly higher than in the general population. Because you work hard all the time, kind of hoping that you can give it up. And then you win, what, I don't know, $2 million? which is what the average person would earn in their life. And so you give it all up, but then you buy things that you wouldn't have ordinarily bought and you no longer have aim in life. So I guess I can see that. I also often wonder how much it would take me, me to sort of bat an eyelid. Like you see the... Have you seen the people on the postcode lottery adverts where they're stood on stage at some embarrassingly cringeworthy Phoenix Night Garlic Bread event and they're giving an oversized check... And the amount of the oversized check is equivalent to a relatively high but not infrequent casino win. And these people, and like confetti's going off and they're overjoyed. I can't believe I played the postcode lottery. I can't believe you played the postcode lottery as well because the EV of these things are generally around about 50 to 60%. It's the worst EV of any type of gambling. With the... The sort of faux justification that we can charge this amount of juice because it's for charity. No one's playing it because they're giving money to charity. If you want to give money to charity, you give money to charity. Plenty of people give money to charity, even charity muggers that are walking down the street or they just transfer a couple of quid to Amnesty International out of their bank on a direct debit. People, if they want to give to charity, give to charity. No one plays a lottery because they want to give more money to charity. And as of yet, undefined charity that a committee sits on and distributes the money around. People play a lottery because they want to win it. So they're gambling. And that's the only reason they're doing it. And it is the worst, it is the worst EV it's the worst kind of gambling. Okay, maybe not the worst. Because Ryanair, if you've ever been on a Ryanair flight, they give out scratch cards, but I'm almost certain there's only one prize on them, so there's no distribution of lower prizes. Also, they had a promotion. They were saying you could get two scratch cards for the price of one and then claimed that that would double your odds of winning which is ridiculous because that's only true if your chances of winning are always zero or you bought zero cards. Because it's a, that's a misunderstanding of how probability works. It's like if you, don't, if you buy two lottery tickets, you don't double your chance of winning the lottery. If you flip a coin, your chances of getting heads is 50-50. It's even money. But it's not 100% that you're going to get heads if you flip it twice. You haven't doubled the odds just by flipping it twice, have you? Anyway, yeah, I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen that if you win one of these lottery scratch cards on Ryanair, you uh, don't actually win the jackpot. What it does automatically allow you to do is that you can 
go to the house of Michael O'Leary or something like that, and then you are presented with 125 envelopes. And one of those envelopes has a $1 million prize, and the others have um, prizes from 50,000 euros or whatever the currency is all the way down. So uh, I'm sure there's a better advantage play strategies out there. What else is in the bookie bashing news? One of the... One of the good bookie bashing bashers pointed me in the direction of this topic of conversation on an alternative forum. Somebody had um, sort of asked the question here. He sort of wants to... Years ago, and I never got involved in this. I understand the EV existed, so it's fine. Years ago, it was quite prevalent for people to use money back on losing legs in accumulators to make money. So let's say you had a five-team accumulator and only four won and one lost. Well, the bookmaker may say if you met certain conditions, you would get your money back. So one of the reasons... I mean, look, I understand if you place... If each of these are £2 EV and you place 100 of them, then you're doing, you know, free money. 200... This guy, he says, I've been making money out of accumulators on and off for a couple of years, but I've never felt brave enough to go for the advantage play. Oh, God. Oh, there's a few uh, things that are like nails down a chalkboard to me. Can we have it back? Is it too late? Can we have it back? Can we have... Do you AP? What's AP? Oh, it means you don't lay your bets. Here's a 3,824% EV bet that is obviously playing around with an advantage. You could hedge it or not. Is it AP? Do you AP? The bastardization of advantage play. It's too late now as well. It's like... Just to move on. This weekend, I've um, been reading a few old posts on the forum, and I'm thinking I should just do it, even if only with small stakes initially to get the feel and build confidence in it. For those who are regularly making money out of accumulators AP, are there any things I should look out for when selecting the Akers to place? I'm thinking things like minimum EV... <laughs> okay, same. I mean, that's just a misunderstanding about what EV is, isn't it? Minimum EV. I'm going to go for the minimum expected value. Same matches appearing in multiple ACAs, min, max, overall odds, max number of bets to have at one time with a single bookmaker. I mean, this kind of exclusivity problem is, and same team in multiple accumulators is difficult. It's difficult. It is a an inexact science, so I'll forgive him those questions. I won't forgive him asking if he should be placing minimum expected value, though. I'm looking towards AP as most of the accounts I have used for Akers. So...
Yeah, straight out of Droitwich. Just look at the profit. Yeah, you can manipulate the bet all you want when there's surplus profit. Um, or maybe it's because I don't understand what the EV equates to. I never ever get EV, so it means nothing to me. Okay, and um, uh, a second poster actually says, I have to agree. I just can't get my head around EV at all. I can sort of see how it might apply to casino offers with slots, giving different win values, but an AP Acker is just win or lose. How can you win £100 or lose £50 but have an EV of minus £3.40 or whatever? Because it's your average return over infinite simulations. It's the average return. That's, that's as really simple as that. And if you, I, it's, I, what, I kind of find it amazing that this is a forum where I would have thought that the average person on there... Oh, sorry, it's Profit Maximizer. Wow. <laughs> Who I have a lot of respect for. I have a lot of respect for Mike Krushank. He's a very clever man, and he's got a lot of decent tools, and there's a lot of good people on Profit Maximizer. One of the difficulties they've had... Mike always said that he was going to cap it at a certain number of people, which I think was um, honourable because there's this problem of the tragedy of the commons um, when a lot of people flood in poor quality information, then the high quality stuff gets distilled. And I think there's a little bit of this happening there where some people, despite the fact that you would have thought that they were quite clued up on things like expected value, they've gone out and actively, proactively spent a subscription over there. And, you know, the majority of people that are not money savvy do not do that. But a lot of people seem to accept expected value on casinos because there's a fixed RTP, but not expect accept it on sports and somebody has said well you know i'm not, I'm not ex I, I, you can't accurately define what the odds are of manchester united to win a football match so how can you um how can you accurately assign ev to it and the simple answer is use a benchmark that you trust that over the long run you can show a profit when you beat that benchmark it's all about the benchmark what are you going to use as a benchmark you know, the most common benchmark is the exchange. If you beat the exchange over the long run, you are going to show long-term profit. But there are other benchmarks out there. In fact, um, we use the exchange as the primary benchmark. But go to any professional gambler. They will be using a number of other different um, attributes and indicators as their benchmarks for making money. But what they will do is that they will work out what the difference is between the odds that they're 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 getting, and that benchmarking, and that's their expected value. They will use the term EV, just like everyone else uses the term EV, the expected value, the equity of your bet. It's the same in casinos as it is in sports. So um, it just shows you can lead uh, sheep to water, but you cannot make them drink from the EV fountain. Right, let, now let's do a new little segment, which we're going to call... The Bashcast Hall of Fame. Only one man uh, is known to have been present either as a competitor 
or spectator at all 37 final tables of the main event of the World Series of Poker leading up to 2006. And that man was Walter Puggy Pearson, known as Puggy from his squashed-in nose caused by a childhood accident when he was showing off to girls. It was Puggy who came up with the idea of the freeze-out tournament some 40 years ago, up till 1972. All poker games were played for cash among 10 or so players around a single table, and the first two world championship titles were decided by players' votes. Puggy had the idea of inviting any number of players, each putting up a sum of money, dropping out when their fixed amount of chips was gone, with the main prize going to the last one standard. He suggested this idea to the legendary Nick the Greek Dandalos, who in turn pitched it to Las Vegas club owner Benny Binion, who saw its potential, and it was soon adopted for all poker tournaments. Puggy won the title himself in 1973 when the contest had just 13 players. He got $130,000 as first prize, stopping Johnny Moss from winning it three times out of four by calling Moss's all-in bet with a seven, which bested Moss's King Jack. By the 2005 World Series, it had grown to 5,600 entrants, and the main event cost $10,000 to enter, aggregating the biggest prize in sports, $7.5 million to the winner. Puggy also won the 1973 Limit 7 card stud and Texas Hold'em $1,000 buy-in titles, together with the diamond bracelets that went with the money. Walter Clyde Puggy Pearson Jr. was born on January the 29th, 1929 in Airdville, Kentucky. He was the first son born to Walter Sr. and Gracie Pearson, the third child of nine and didn't go past fifth grade. In the 1930s census, his father's job was listed as none. In the 1940s census, after the family moved to Jackson County, Tennessee, his father's occupation was listed as rock crusher. Forced at 10 to get a job and help support the large brood of descendants from hard-scrabble Englishmen, he did whatever a boy could do during the Depression. Construction, gopher, bottle collector, he earned his nickname after showing off for some girls on a job site at a church. A floorboard broke whilst he was walking on his hands and he smashed his nose flat. At 16... Pearson joined the Navy. He missed World War II and found life in the Navy. With its monotonous days and all those nautical miles between ports, a perfect opportunity to make some serious bank gambling. He learned how to palm dice and calculate pot odds. A pool hustler and a card shock, he stayed in the Navy for three tours because he said the action was too good to resist. Pearson on a boat with a deck of cards and the thousands and thousands of dollars in the pockets of board men was like an Eton champion at a smorgasbord. If he was as naturally good at hitting baseballs as he was at sizing people up, he would have been Ted Williams' fat, slow cousin. And if Williams was good at short-changing the pot, palming dice and angle shooting, Williams would have been a puggy. He scooped up more than $20,000 by the time he was discharged in the early 1950s and would never work at a real job in his whole life. After the Navy... He spent about a decade based in Nashville, operating a small three-table pool hall called Pugs, and rambling around the country, playing cards, shooting pool, and doing about anything he could where he thought he had an advantage. He was an all-round athlete, 
who would play pool, backgammon, golf, tennis, any game, as long as he thought he had an edge. He had a great sense of his own skill, which he used to survive as a gambler. Vegas historian and gambling analyst Larry Grossman told the Las Vegas Sun after Pearson's death in 2006. During the era of Johnny Moss, Doyle Brunson, Amarillo Slynn and Sailor Roberts, the early days of tournament poker, Puggy was as tough a player as anybody. Pearson moved to Vegas in the mid-1960s, where he quickly fell in with the people he'd spent a decade with, driving the highways from game to game, pool table to pool table. He wasn't the first big-time card shop to make the city's card rooms his office. Moss and Roberts beat him there, to name just two, but he soon was known as one of the toughest players and prop bettors in a town full of them. Pearson's gambling logic was as sound as any brokerage manager's. Stay cool. Understand your opponent and the environment of the day. Know your odds. Make your opponent believe they are no good. Treat it like a business. Be fierceless and trust yourself. It's a funny thing, gambling. It's like running a grocery store. You buy and you sell. You pay the going rate for cards and you try and sell them for more than you pay. A gambler's ace is his ability to think clearly under stress. That's very important. You see... Fear is the basis of all mankind, and in cards, you psych them out, you shock them out, you put the fear of God in them. That's life. Everything's mental in life. The butt was made to lug the mind around. The most important thing in gambling is knowing the 60-40 end of the proposition and knowing the human element. Some folks may know one of them, but ain't many who know them both. I believe in logic, cut and dried. Two and two ain't nothing in this world but four. A scratch golfer... He was a legend on the course and would gamble for stratospheric amounts. During his prime, he could chip and putt as well as PGA Tour members. The most he won on the golf course in one day was $300,000, according to World Golf Magazine. He said, you can't be afraid to lose your entire bankroll. The way you guard against that is betting smart. You need to know you got the stone nuts before you put a peg in the ground. The $300,000 win was nice, but he suffered six-figure losses on the course too. It's like the stock market. You just want more ups than downs. Doyle Brunson also said he had to pick anyone in the world to make a putt with his life on the line. It would be his friend Pearson. Pearson would put in marathon card-playing sessions, many going longer than 24 hours, a large stogie clenched in his puffy lips. When Bradshaw went to see him in the mid-1970s, he noted how everyone seemed to know him. Waitresses, casino employees, tourists, they knew who he was and had to stop and get a piece of Pearson. Of course they know me. If you were the principal of the school, wouldn't all the kids know you? Pearson's playing style was ultra-aggressive, or wild as he put it. He thought of himself as the boss. If players wanted to win, they had to go through him. He placed himself in the doorway like a cosmic bouncer, and he filled this role for a good part of 30 years. He won four WSOP bracelets, although none after 1973, when he won three of them, and that included the $10,000 main event. He didn't miss a WSOP main event until his death at 77 on April the 12th, 2006. One of the more enduring images relayed in the obituaries published in dozens of newspapers that week was his RV with his mantra painted on the side. I'll play any man from any land in any game he can name for any amount I can count provided 
I like it. That's the coolest fucking story I've ever heard in my entire life. That's insane. Can I hear it again? Do you have time?